Hello, everybody, and welcome back to BYOB. That's Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. Oof, how are you doing, Ben Haynes? How's it yeah, going, mate? Good, mate. How are you? How are you getting on? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. You know, it's been a it's been a good few weeks of some pretty hard, hard going films, hasn't it? Um, yeah. Do you think we and, watched today's okay. one at the wrong time for you then? Uh, what f- fight fighting club? The fighting club. Maybe I don't know, but maybe maybe it was the right time. Maybe it's just the uh, Tottenham Hotspurs fortunes intersecting with our films all being quite miserable that is maybe causing a bit of a problem. You've just reminded me of something really important that I'm going to put in the running order. And can you do some film music with um, Mouth Tuba? Oh, Mouth Tuba. Ah, very good the way that you just manipulated that ah. absolutely sensational keeping it relevant, um, keeping it relevant. Uh, how have you been getting on otherwise have you got any uh, like general joy in your life outside of football and films uh, i've been watching that uh 007 series mate and i know we've uh disagreed on this one i think yeah I've, I've actually put this in the running order because i want to i want to disagree on it loudly you want to oh hello <laughs> hello all right, should we, should we, let's just dive into it now, mate. Let's do it. It's not do, a movie we the, we've watched. This do week. what we've seen first, or do you want to do comments first? We've got some good comments this week. All right, then go on then. Can we? But just very quickly, I promise I'll be quick. Um, I we for some reason, Goodwill Hunting just caught hold of people a bit this week. It became sort of one of our biggest pods in the first. I think it was our biggest, wasn't it? Yeah, in the first week of going out. So I think that might be partly down to Robin Williams just being absolutely lovely mm-hmm. and. And it just being nice to watch him again on screen. But do you think it's ha- Robin Williams, or do you think it's just that we are quite brilliant? You know, it could be that. That was the, the eventually. That Williams, was the kind of like. Do you remember? Um, do you remember at school you'd have one person that kind of sat on the floor behind someone, and the other person pushed them over, and they would sort of fall over. I think mm. Robin Williams is probably the push, and we're the the kids on our, on the floor behind the person's back. I mean, I literally generally was that person as well. So, uh, <laughs> Were you actually? Yeah. Did yeah. you have the phase at school of uh, bundles? Oh yeah, yeah. We uh, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story about bundles, Please. mate. We uh, so me and my little uh, posse. My little crew of pals that used to, we went through this phase of like very much enjoying bundling people. And, uh, you know, it'd be like down the corridors when you're going through from lesson to lesson to lesson, then suddenly you see somebody's bundle and you'll jump in, push them into the wall and all that type of thing. <laughs> Get a few digs in as well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> all good friendly stuff, not not bullying. Like so everyone, nothing vicious. No, everyone was a part of it. Um, and one of our, somebody grasped us up basically is what happened. And so we had this, uh, we had this really strange. It was one of those like middle-aged man having a meltdown. You know, when you're a kid and you see a teacher literally on the edge having a bit of a meltdown, and you're kind of oh, like, I now feel a bit bad about that. Sort of, but also like he's going a bit past the level. You know what I mean? Even when you're a kid, you've got a sense of like you yeah, should yeah. be doing this. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. you're being a bit weird here. And yeah. uh, I'm not going to mention his name or anything, but Trevor. this one teacher in particular, <laughs> yeah, let's call him Trevor for the, for all intents and purposes. And so he came and picked like, he, he, you know, it was one of those, f- when you're in your form group first thing in the morning, knock on the door, he comes to the door. Can I, uh, can I just grab Jack for a second, please? And then you were instantly like, 
um, in trouble. Oh, no. Do you know what I mean? Because he was like, he was like, I think he was like ahead of year or something like that. It was like, uh, and I go outside the classroom and I see that's such a horrible feeling, by the way, isn't it? Yeah, but I see like two or three of my mates from other classes all there, kind of trying <laughs> not to laugh and stuff. And so we're all kind of like, right, there's something going on here. And we're still doing this mini tour of the school as we go to another form group. And he knocks on the door and pulls out a couple more of our little kind of motley crew. And there's, then there's probably about six, seven of us, right? And he's like, you're probably all wondering why I've uh, why I've gotten you out of a uh, form group this morning. I just thought we'd have a nice little walk around the school, eh? I thought we'd have a nice... Bundle! <laughs> and like on his own, like ran into the wall and was like, come on, bundle! And we're Are you all like, kidding? No, nah, yeah. And we're all like, uh, uh <laughs> what? And he's... And we t- literally, mate, this grown man this grown out like running down the corridors of the school jumping into what? walls shouting bundle come on lads it's all a good laugh isn't it bundle doesn't what? matter if someone gets hurt oh, come mate. on bundle. i've got second degree yeah. like shivers yeah. for and him literally mate there's like oh. if you imagine there's like eight seven eight 15 year old boys all standing there like mate what are you doing you know oh, what I mean? Mate, that and is it was, so yeah. awful. So there you go. Oh my god. That's my story about bundles. So Lou Lou has sent us a very nice message. <laughs> saying, go go back to the joy of Robin Williams. Goodwill Hunting. What a film. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck won Oscars for the screenplay. They wrote the script at the tender age of twenty-four and twenty-two. Robin Williams won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. It is an absolute gem of a film. Yeah, I agree, Lou. I agree. You know? Yeah, nice sentiments. And I, I think Josh was uh, sent in a comment about um, about Drive, saying that basically he's up for anything that Nicholas Winding Refn puts out. And we also had the baser. Big Spurs fan who said, my best ever cinema experience to this day is watching Drive on Halloween 2011 at the Goldbenkian Theatre in Canterbury, I bizarrely met Nicholas Winding Refn on an abandoned tube station tour a year later. <laughs> that is that is absolutely bizarre. I've always wanted to do one of them as well. We had one other comment come in um, from Nikki Smith that I wanted to share. She, where she just said the chemistry in the film is what makes it so good. Uh, and that's between Carrie Mulligan and, and, um, and with uh, Ryan Gosling. Um, love the long looks between them. Great film, great soundtrack. Very much agreed. Those those long looks, I would find that totally awkward, but they do them incredibly well. Yeah. Really, really beautifully done. Um, and so with that, we can get on to films that we've watched this week. Should we do? Should we start with James Bond: Road to yeah, a Million? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, Gordon, you go first. I'm absolutely loving it, mate. Like, I'm, are you I, I, bloody joking? I've uh, <laughs> I've I've said I see it as kind of Crystal Maze meets traitors do you know what i mean it's that type yeah. of like i, I like it I, I, i'll be honest i'm a sucker for anything and it's funny because i haven't watched that race around the world thing yet um okay which is supposed to be very good but i am a sucker for anything that's intercontinental that's got this kind of like spy immersive type element to it like i absolutely absolutely love traitors last year on on bbc and i know this isn't this isn't strictly like that at all it's it's kind of is in the in the 
the game show elements but you know it's a bit squid gamey it's a bit i don't know i like it and i'm i'm sold on it i like i like brian cox i like the fact that brian cox thought he was going to be in a bond movie and did he actually a, did he actually think yeah that? yeah yeah that's his thing he was like i i thought thank fuck they finally got me in one um <laughs> but turns out he was in a uh very a game good show. impression. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very <laughs> good. <laughs> Some kind of a shithole. <laughs> it's it. You know, it's really funny as well. I I didn't realize that. Um, didn't realize that Amazon have essentially bought out Bond, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I wasn't aware of somehow that. they bought like certain and rights bought, to it, haven't they? But yeah, it really like it, there's so much milling around in this that I feel that it's almost disrespectful to the Bond soundtrack to play the Bond soundtrack and then just have two random people going up to a phone box trying to, like, relay a question to each other over a phone. I'm like, for God's sake. This is, like, Charlotte and I were saying, like, it's very, really, other than the soundtrack and, yeah, okay, the fact it's kind of, like, globe-trotting, it's not really Bondy at all. You know, they, there's they, no bondness. They to chuck it. in like the odd like Aston or Jaguar and stuff like that into one of the challenges, <laughs> but I think it's really good fun. I've been really enjoying it. Let's go on to uh, the killer. What did you What did you make of the killer? Did you watch that this week? I did. Yeah, the killer. Um, absolutely loved it. I loved oh, the nice. killer. I thought it was great. I thought it's uh, Fincher at his at his very best. Should we give a uh, We'll give a quick synopsis of the killer. If you haven't seen it yet, it's it was got a limited run. Or in cinemas. Did you it's go? Now, no, no. To watch it on Netflix. Call it at home. Um, I would say you could call it a dark comedy. I would say it is a comedy. It's one of Fincher's like actually funniest films. I think probably. Um, it's, it's all surrounding the main character, the killer, played by Michael Fassbender, um, who is tasked with. You know, he's an international hitman. He's tasked with taking out somebody in Paris you see the the actual day-to-day of being a hitman what that looks like a lot of waiting around a lot of kind of distracting yourself keeping yourself awake and entertained until you can get that perfect shot on your mark um and it just so happens that we join him as he misses his mark and we see the fallout out the uh out the back of that um facing the sort of various you know the repercussions that come with this line of work when you don't get the job done um it leads him down this sort of murky rabbit hole of going after his paymasters the clients the other hitmen who come to wreak revenge upon him after he's missed it um i i, I thought it was it's, it's funny that we've done fight club this week mate um because I thought for for Fincher film, it's um, it was oddly reminiscent of Fight Club in many ways. Yeah, um, I thought there was a real kind of skewering on corporate culture again, a big part of it um, of our day to day mundane professional existences as human beings. Um, I really liked it. I did really like it. It's still, I probably need to give it another watch to have a more solidified take on on it all. But I think like some of the main takes I would have from it is that it's completely skewering the Hitman genre, right? You're so used to seeing these Hitmen so 
suave, so sleek, so cool. Do these? That's the whole. That's how they're always portrayed in Hollywood, right? Yeah. Whereas you've got they're always in a suit. Yeah. Whereas you've got this guy who is kind of listening to the Smiths, trying to do his job, distracting himself by going for like protein at McDonald's. So taking the kind of the the bread roll off of a McMuffin, all that type of thing. Um, ordering various different things from Amazon. But at the same time, kind of acting like he's something above this, oh, the worst thing you can be as a normal person when all the while he's doing everything that normal people do. Yeah, His job yeah. is, you know, he's got this corporate line of command of people who tell him what he's to do and when he has to do it and he faces repercussions if he doesn't do it. And I think the whole thing is this guy coming to terms with the fact that no matter how much outside of the average everyday existence he lives, or at least he thinks he does, his job isn't that every day. He is just really, he's just like other people, you know, and I'm trying, I'm trying not to say too much to sort of spoil. Yeah, to um, kill off. But, but I do know film. exactly what you mean. I mean, the fact that the, this is not a spoiler to say that he's pitched up to do his first job in a, in, in a disused or abandoned WeWork, having kind of WeWork completely basically gone out of business or almost gone bankrupt. So it's placing him in a position where he's about to do his job from the rotting corpse of a corporate company gone completely bust, you know? So it Mm. really is making a point from, from moment one and he's doing yoga in there and stretching and, and struggling with his sleep and ordering things to Amazon lockers um, and going to McDonald's. And it really is just taking a swipe at the, the sort of weird, um, it's almost like in Fight Club, it's what he calls single use culture, isn't it? Isn't that what he calls it? Mm-hmm. Um, when he's got all these single use things, it's a real swipe at that kind of um, everything just being quick and ready, even for your your friendly neighborhood hitman who's just waiting to pop someone off, you know? Um, yeah, so it was. It was I, I found it really, really interesting. I, I, I definitely enjoyed Tilda Swinton's turn as well. I thought she was very good. It plays a lot like, it, 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 you know, it really is, like I say, on the nose of it being like Fight Club. I think so much of it is talking about the emptiness of professionalism, you know? Yeah. That there is this kind of, I guess there's a systemic sort of detachment from responsibility, especially with corporations, with corporate life in that way. Um, I mean, really, you would sort of see, the, uh, I think the killer sort of, he, starts to come to this realization that is his life that different from that of an average sort of office worker you got because what they do is like the tone of it all the, the film you think it's going to be like high action this guy's a train killer but it's not i mean really like the, the 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 killing the brutality of it is all actually pictured as quite mundane it's not glorified um, no, it is there's somebody, only one of those, isn't there? Yeah, it's somebody doing a job, you know. Um, it's, I don't know, there's just this strange sort of, I think part of it, it's like, there's this acceptance that we have to give ourselves to these fairly dehumanizing systems, these like methods of control, which the the corporate world is rife with, right? We we You become not a person, you become a digit on a on a spreadsheet and that's 
kind of what the film's about. It's about our own kind of sense of corporate entrenchment as well. The fact that we lean on these things to provide ourselves with some meaning. Oh, I got a promotion at work today. I'm now chief ass kisser as opposed to ass kisser. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just... Yeah, and also the mantra that he kind of repeats to himself as well. It's almost like he's repeating to himself it's it, whether he learned the the kind of basic fundamentals of killing people or whether someone told him those basic fundamentals the fact that he just regurgitates these lines over and over again that just mm. seem to be sucking any soul or life out of him while he does this job is is quite interesting in, in some ways like from fincher it feels like uh you know the the filmmaker himself is obviously on his own sort of personal journey and i know he you know he hasn't written either of these films but he's chosen which films to work upon there's obviously something about the the source material that appeals to him he puts a lot of himself into these films as any director does when they're picking up a film and i think there's whereas you have something like fight club and we will be obviously talking about that now which is showing you this kind of this pre-millennium fight this kind of punk type attitude to smashing capitalism anarchy bring down the system rebellion is key to fight the malaise that human kind finds itself in the killer to me is almost like a more world weary mature filmmaker realizing that the system ain't going anywhere the system is what it is it's here we're all a part of this now and there's no escaping that and that's kind of it's it's that's the sort of grim juxtaposition between the two films I find, even though they deal with very similar subject matter. So let me chuck this to you then. Do you think that's part of the reason why he's okay with it being limited release Netflix? Do you think that sort of plays into it? <clears throat> I think part of it, mate, probably. Um, maybe Almost like this kind of like, oh, wow, I've reached this point where I'm going to have to accept that even though I put my heart and soul into it, it's going to be on a streaming platform. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's quite an interesting take because yeah, because I think the film industry now it's so hard even for somebody like David Fincher, I would imagine, it's so hard to get films made nowadays that aren't belonging to some sort of IP, you know, that aren't yeah. superhero, that aren't whatever else, you know? Um that's why we have so many Batman films. That's why we have so many, you know, we were talking about it at the start off air. There's a whole new multiverse of Marvel films coming out where they're going to start bringing back Robert Downey Jr. and all this type of thing, right? And I think the fact that somebody like Netflix gives David Fincher the chance to make a film which maybe a lot of other studios wouldn't. They wouldn't want to take the risk on, hey, um, so I want to make a, I want to make this kind of, again, another, like we're talking about with the 007 thing, a globe-trotting thing about an assassin oh, you know, studios rubbing their hands together with glee. Yeah, but actually there's not really going to be much action in it. It's actually just going to be lots and lots of monologues about a guy talking about corporate culture and how boring he finds his life and his job um, and coming to that slow realisation that he's just some cog in a big machine like everybody else is. You can imagine a lot of studios be like, "Mm, can we like, get the rock and kevin hart in that and <laughs> add some explosions do you know what i mean yeah 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 <laughs> big thumbnail on the front of it right um, the, and- the, the, the the only other thing that i did think on this it was um 
it I after I finished the film, I came away thinking, I wish I'd watched that in the cinema. Yeah, I wish yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I wish yeah. I'd watched that in the cinema. I watched it on TV. I watched it on Friday night, right. and it was absolutely fine to watch on TV. But I feel like it probably would have lent itself to a really big screen, yeah, good experience. Looks beautiful, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's one of the fight scenes. There's there, there really, I would say, in the whole film, there's one fight scene that really you need to kind of pay full attention to, mm. and on. A screen at home, it was like it, it, you could tell the design of it was to be quite gritty and quite dark. But in on a big screen in the cinema, it probably would have been absolutely epic. Whereas at mm. home, it kind of I just watched it through and was like, oh, cool, you know. And I and I do think that's some sort of almost a note to myself. Make sure that when you have these films that you want to go see, if they're limited release, David Fincher film, I still feel like maybe it deserves to be seen in the cinema. You know, given his back catalogue, he's got so many great films. It's like you can commit for one of those. And Fastbender's is good as well. You know, like, you know, you're going to get at worst a six or a seven out of ten. So it, 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 I, I wish now that I'd watch the cinema. Still, it held up decent enough. What um, did you think about the old uh, The Smith soundtrack? Mate, I, I was completely fine with it. Now yeah. I've heard a lot of people really not okay yeah, with it yeah. and, and saying like, it's so cringe and blah 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 blah. But I actually really, I, I, I like the Smiths. You know, take Morrissey and whatever you think of Morrissey to one side. I I could happily listen to the Smiths at various points. You know, and and there is nothing better than when you want to wallow and be grumpy. You just chuck on a Smith song and you're like, yeah, you know, it's that that sort of classic uh, old school pretending this is deeper than it actually is type thing. Um, But I actually really I I quite enjoyed it. And I quite I also got something from the fact that he had an MP3 player that he was listening to music on, you know, and it did make me think as well. There was something in that that made me think, wow. It would be interesting to go back to the idea of having a device that you could listen to music on that didn't then distract you, mm. you know, and actually like commit to it. But um, no, all in. Thought it was decent, mate. Thought it was decent. Um, should we hit up a bit of Fight Club? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, um, wait, this was my choice, wasn't it? It was your choice, yeah. Um, so, Fight Club. I was buzzing to watch this again because this Mm. is a film that I watched probably as this is 2011 yeah so I watched it at university and was it no it wasn't 2011 was no 1999 so I was driver was 2011 I remember at school actually there was a poster on the wall people were taking the piss out of the the kind of like the first rule of fight club is you don't talk about fight club and anytime anyone had a sports club that you were allowed to join (laughs) it would be like the first rule of blah 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 club is you're not allowed to talk about blah 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 club and then the second rule would be like kickoffs at 4 30 see you in the change rooms at four or whatever Um, another one of those movies like we were talking about with kill bill previously it had such a huge cultural impact like that didn't it yeah it was like and and brad pitt being brad pitt as well i mean it it's a bit unfair, really, considering that he is the 0.01%, but that image of him sort of almost leaning backwards while they're in the underground bit of the bar or whatever the establishment is while they're having the tear-ups and he's just, I think he's got a cigarette in his mouth and he's so cut, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Just crazy ripped. It's kind of like, and it's something we will get onto, but it's kind of the, um, I would say... 
vast, vast majority of blokes, you give them that or you give them the sort of Leonidas 300 and they're like, yeah, yeah, yes, please. Yeah. If I could be that, I, I think I'd take that. Yeah. Um, what, what did you, uh, actually, do you know what? We won't get onto what, what do we make of it? Because I'd love to do that first, if that's okay. Um, sure. But do you remember like watching this when you were younger? I do, mate. I, well, I remember this kid called uh, Neil. He used to be in like my German lessons at school. Talking <laughs> about school, talking about this. He, he'd watched it and he was obsessed with the film. So I remember so much of the film because he just used to say lines from it. Oh, all really? the time bab's got bitch tits and stuff like that he <laughs> always used to say like that he always used to say it he used to say <laughs> so many of the lines from it um so that's that was one of, one of my first sort of encounters with it. i think i watched i watched it i definitely didn't see it in the cinema or anything i would have watched it probably on a vhs maybe year 2000 2001 or something like that and you know when i was a kid not really getting any of it and just kind of liking the punch-ups and the kind of cool stylings. Brad Pitt was so cool back then. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, man. Like, all the girls fancied him. All the blokes wanted to be him. It's with that classic archetype, right? Like The um, most clear-cut version of it. Like yeah, it could yeah. not be more because and look, do you know what we're going to get into this stuff anyway? So do you do you want to kill it off and and try and sixty second it? I'll give it a go. I'll going to be it a tough. Go. I'm I'm just going to throw it out there, but I think last time out for drive was probably the cleanest one we've had. That I was so happy with the way that I delivered that. So you you you're going to have to come in oh, hot. Cheers, mate. Cheers. No Thanks. pressure. Yeah, yeah. Nice one. <laughs> right, ready? Three, two, <laughs> one, go. So, Fight Club revolves around a nameless insomniac um, called The Narrator, played by Edward Norton. He's an office drone who's seeking some kind of meaning from his existence, and he finds solace in support groups of people with various different afflictions. Um, His life takes a drastic turn when he meets a chap called Tyler Durden, who is this charismatic soap salesman. Um, they basically together end up forming an underground fight club as a form of escapism rebellion against social constraints Um, the club gains a lot of popularity it evolves bigger than it ever was into something called Project Mayhem which is a anarchist kind of anti-establishment movement Um, but as the protagonist he becomes kind of the narrator becomes increasingly sort of troubled by this he discovers the shocking truth Three, that Tyler is him two, it's an alter ego one. a projection of his own desires and frustrations <clears throat> that was very very tidy nice nicely aggressively sped up at the end and yeah. then he turns out Tyler Durden's actually him cheers bye <laughs> <laughs> very good very good now I we did well beforehand to not get into too much of the kind of nitty gritty of this because there is some really really cool interesting stuff to get into here but I wanted to front load because we had a really interesting conversation while we were watching along at different times. Um, tell me how you felt about it in the first act when you watched it back. So I was like you, I was buzzing to watch this again. I haven't, so, you know, Charlotte and I have been together now for over a decade and we were just like, you know what? I don't think we've ever watched this film together. We 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 put it on and I was like, I, don't, I can't even remember when I've last watched this. I think I'm going back 
12, 13 years or so, um, which feels mad for such an iconic, massive film. And I, I definitely watched it several times growing up. Do you know what I mean? Especially at university um, when one may be under the influence of certain substances that uh, open one's mind to this type of narrative. Um, say no more <laughs> than that. Um, definitely watched it a few times in, in that kind of headspace. But yeah, I definitely hadn't watched this for a very long time. So I thought this is going to be really interesting to watch as an adult now, um, as somebody who's very much in the, you know, worker drone <laughs> <laughs> end game, if you like. Um, now you're a child uh, of Ikea. Yeah. And I would say... I got about an hour in and I, maybe not quite an hour, but around about that, right? And I would say this is just like, I would say this is after he's met Tyler and I would say it's kind of when they're in the, the house, which is an absolute crap hole and everything. And he's talking about how they have to turn the electricity off and all this type of thing. And I, I paused the film and I said to Charlotte, like, is it actually a bit boring? Is it actually a bit shit? And she was like, I don't know. I'm not really enjoying it much either. And then I sent you a message being like, mate, I, I'm really finding this hard. Like, I'm really, I find this so bleak. I find this so depressing and so miserable. And I got up, made a cup of tea, came back to the film, put it back on. I thought, come on, right. I'm going to watch this to be YOB. Let's get back into this. I know this is a good film. Maybe I'm just not in the right headspace for it or whatever. And from that point on, actually, as the film started to roll on, I was like, okay, I'm I'm back. I'm back with this now. There's a bit more happening here. Um, and so what I now am thinking, like in retrospect, is like, number one, is the a lot of the film that now me watching this in my late 30s, it hits a bit too close to home potentially if i'm sort of you know asking myself that question are there a lot you know this sort of like rebellious streak that i maybe felt as a teenager and everything watching this film is there that recognition now that i am the narrator i'm that person who's shoved that rebellious side of myself down um maybe i vent it a bit on twitter here and there but in my day-to-day -day life am i kind of just a drone have i reconciled this existence is that is that why i don't like this or is it just that the film is quite depressing is it that it's quite miserable at the front and that's very purposefully a directorial decision it really is to draw you into the world of the narrator to show you his drudgery to show you how miserable it is right what i mean yeah. what do you think well yeah no i'm 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 my i think i'm there with you that m when i watched it I had this feeling of, oh, why am I not being gassed up? Like, why am I not mm. sitting here super excited? Because I remember the film as so vividly exciting. And actually, when the credits roll at the beginning and there's that really punchy kind of um, credit sequence, which is really, really exciting, you're like, yeah, let's get it. I am so ready for this film sort of thing. Um, and then he starts describing his kind of Ikea existence, the single-use stuff, the idea of going through these experiences, having conversations on planes with people that he doesn't care about. Um, and I perhaps started to realise, there's a bit where he's talking about insomnia and he's talking about the, the the idea of never really being asleep and never really being awake. And he's watching TV and there's 
shopping TV shows on the on the TV that mm. you would only ever really catch if you were watching TV at stupid o'clock. Do you remember the the kind of quiz game shows you'd I have? Do, they were right? almost like casino game shows. I don't even I don't know if they even exist anymore. But that for me was always the that was the sign when I was eighteen that you were up too late. You know that was like oh god I've, I've well, sort I, of got yeah. it. I used to have really bad insomnia. I really did. Like in my right. sort of late teens, early twenties, early, I would say early to mid twenties, I had real problems with sleep. I, I still have problems with sleep. I've always, my entire life struggled with sleep. It's always been a thing that's, you know, I, I now take magnesium. I have lavender. I have lots of different things that help me to like, I've learned to manage it basically as I've gotten yeah. older. But there is something quite like pointed and quite like, miserable about that and it's, it is true I, d I do remember in particular going through this phase of I would say probably how old was I about 20 or 21 I would say um when I don't think I could honestly I don't think I would go for more than two or three hours before wow. I would wake up I would wake up and I'd be up for two hours and then I fall back asleep again for a little bit and you do start to wonder your dreams and stuff really do start to mesh in with your reality and yeah. it would lead me to yeah. so often having these points when I was like did I have this conversation with you and somebody would be like no what the fuck are you on about and I'm like fuck am I thinking about a dream I had about somebody or what do you know what I mean? Ever, and it, yeah. Do you ever have that thing when you were dreaming to the point of being awake? You're asleep and you're dreaming, and then without even realizing it, you're awake, and the dream yeah. is kind of like continuing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so so bizarre, like yeah. so bizarre. And I, I particularly get that when I can't sleep well, when I'm, I'm, when I'm in a bad place and waking up multiple times a mm. night and then having that strange thing of like, God, I need to get back to sleep. But the thing is, is that the, the reason why in the film he's like, I need to try and get some sleep is so that he can go and do this job that he doesn't enjoy mm. and doesn't want any part of so that he can live a life that, he's being told that he needs to live or, or so that he can, because there's that bit where he's saying to Tyler Durden, it's like, man, I was almost complete. I had a respectable wardrobe and a good stereo. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm. wow, that's the dream. And I think like you said, I think this, the beginning of this film is so bleak because I think we might actually be past that now. You and I in particular with it, where we kind of are in our, in our life is that we, we probably have, we've actually managed to live through that weird age of, consumer capitalism and have gone into fairly late stage capitalism now yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. so it, it it actually feels quite on the nose for us because we went through it and did the whole phase in our 20s of going out and trying to trying to do hedonism while at the same time getting a job that would pay you enough to to then allow you to buy stuff on the side and have a flat that didn't look awful. Um, and, and it kind of led me to this thought process, which it was probably a bit too heavy going for the first part of the, the pod, but it led me to this thought process that the film is basically saying that um, if you carry on without ever challenging anything, if you just get your head down, you will end up in the cycle of going out and needing all of these things that will distract you 
from the inevitable reality that you're going back to work, you know, so you, you go and do your work and then you earn enough to distract yourself from the fact that you're going back to work and then you go back into work again and then get a little bit of money and then you can buy some more stuff and then go back to work again. Um, and he in particular is that the sort of embodiment of that. Um, and, and it kind of makes the point, I think, and, and possibly, probably thankfully for us, it didn't make the point about, um, televised or organized sport, uh, because, if if you tug at that thread quite hard and if you look at that i remember when i was this is probably 10 years ago now i was going mm. to every single spurs game pretty mm. much home and away and it used to strike me so hard the feeling of bleakness that i would see when i would walk out of the stadium people kind of being like oh my god it's over and now back to reality you know, yeah. it, it, it used to hit me really, really hard. And I think this film perhaps is making that point quite a lot in that it's saying that you th those little things that you think are breaking up the monotony are actually just re-entrenching and reinforcing the cycle. Um, sorry, I've spoken for a very long time there, but that, that, that was just kind of what I took from that opening. That I think it's about 35, 40 minutes it takes for the film to kind of go, okay, where where are we going here and how are we going to get out of this? Um, I think reflecting I, on it, I mean, we can expand on this and I think we should over the course of the pods because I don't want to sort of front load it with too much of this. But the sort of the personal reflection on it is, I think, like I say, I remember watching this as a teenager, as an early 20-something, laughing at the drone guy, the archetypal nine-to-five guy who like he says, shapes his personality with his cookie cutter Ikea life. This reflects me. This is who I am. This shows a flare, a bit of my personality out there. Um, and you think I'm never going to be that. And then suddenly watching it in my late thirties, I'm like, I mean, kind of am that. And most of us are that right. We, yeah. You, you end up yeah. that way. And I think we, we will talk about the systems and we will talk about the stuff that leads us to be in this, kind of position but i think there was that kind of reality check of like wow you know like it's it's prophesized it's there in front of you and as much as you try to rage against the machine yeah if you like um it comes to you there's a there's a sort of an inevitability about that and it, it is it's a funny time of it's a it is a funny time of life i've been having a lot of these kind of thoughts Again, not to get too deep, but it's, yeah, it's a deep podcast. But having a lot of few of these thoughts, I'd say since I got to like my mid thirties to like this point now, approaching forty, and I talked to a lot of my mates about this. I'm like, man, like it literally feels like yesterday, mate, that we were going out in London, going out in town, getting pissed up or whatever, just having a laugh, not giving a shit about anything, and now like we're nearly forty, I. How the hell has that happened? Like literally, how has amazing, that isn't it? That you do the that you do the thing of if something happened two or three years ago, you'd be like, "Oh, it was ages ago." But you think about things from early twenties with such fondness that it's like it only just happened. You yeah. know, you're like, "Oh, it's only five minutes ago," but it's ages ago. It's ages but ago. You know? Time is so it's so strange, isn't it? And this is probably slightly off piece, so I won't dwell on this for too long, but. It is so strange. And I was thinking about this with movies, for example. Like, if I think about, you think about a movie that's, you know, 
if you even think about decades, you don't even need to think about movies. Think about the 70s, think about the 80s, think about the 90s. They're all so clearly defined. Those decades all feel so clearly defined. When I think about like 2014 now, you think 2014 is going to be a decade ago. I don't feel like things are that different since 2014. And this is like, like you're saying about that sort of part of like late stage capitalism, where we are now, it's almost like the algorithm, the formula, whatever it is, is suddenly like, this works. Let's stick with this. We can stay now static in this place and just keep leeching from them, you know, from, from the people, from, from them, this, this, this sort of setup that we have now, it works. We don't need to keep going again. We don't need to change things up. We've got, like you say, we've got the sport there. We've got the streaming movies, constant entertainment there. It's it's the whole Brave New World thing. We've got uh, a whole kind of pharmaceutical complex of various different kind of medications and stuff for depression, for this, for that. Do you know what I mean? All these various... Yeah, different, just keep I'm not everyone in their lane. I'm, I'm not saying this as yeah. any kind of, you know, don't take it, man. It's I, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying we now have this whole thing in place that keeps, like you say, keeps everyone in line, keeps everyone in their own little orders. It's like we've arrived. And that that's kind of what I was thinking on this. I was thinking there is so little that changes now. Years blend into one, days blend into one, months blend into one because there's so, there's, it's like nothing new happens anymore. The, the only thing new that happens is a new series of something comes to you to binge on television. And we all talk about that. And then we go back to doing the same thing, right? Which yeah, the, the, we're, um, we're there. We've arrived. The, That's it. It's, it's game over. You know, the, like the, the scene where he's got the photocopier and the light is just drifting across the photocopier and then going back to the beginning and drifting across the photocopier and then back again and back again and back again. I, I don't know why, but that scene's always stuck with me. And I think that might be why it is. Because he just is literally in that existence. He's just having the photocopy existence. He's doing the Groundhog Day thing, which is, uh, I mean, it just is a, that beginning, it, 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 I wasn't expecting it. Basically, I wasn't expecting it to feel as bleak as it did. But that does all, there was another bit in the beginning that I, that I picked out as well. Um, I hadn't, I mean, I did know, I did know this. Um, and the film has always been about, to some extent what it is to be a man and they're mm. almost this kind of like a takedown of of um the idea of what men are becoming in this era or or maybe a, just a discussion about what men are in this era but it really jumped out at me this time around some of these lines like the idea of um bob and him firstly going to a group for men that are basically had testicular cancer and lost their testicles or or potentially um have had a testicle removed or have lost the ability to create enough um, male hormones so bob for example he says bob has got bitch tits and bob is standing there sobbing saying we're still men we're still men and then when he meets tyler durden tyler durden sort of looking and saying that's how calvin klein wants men to look that's how I, I can't remember what the other one, the other brand that he says, but the idea was it was as I'd imagine that it was looking at the version of men that were kind of like the Abercrombie and Fitch style 
shirtless. The, the, the only thing preppy. that was slightly ironic about that bit of the Calvin Klein thing, it's like, that's literally what Brad Pitt looks like. Yeah, though. Brad Do Pitt you know is, what I mean? is <laughs> just that guy in a nutshell, only yeah. just banging everyone out. But I, I did think this is a really interesting discussion around that. Um, and probably at the time would have been just as there was this slight drift away from the idea of alpha men being mm. the most important thing in any conversation, you know, and probably people watch this film because I didn't watch it at the cinema. I imagine people who watch this film in the cinema, if there was a, a point, we, I mean, bloody hell, we spoke about Barbie the other week and mm. people got their nose put out of joint and that was just talking about sort of needing to be on horseback all the time. Um, but, but this this definitely in that era would have probably reinforced to some people that like, it's okay to be a bloke and be an old school traditional alpha male. And then to other people, they would have watched it and gone like, this is just so grim. That is not what I want men to be. Do you know what I mean? Mm, I mean, I think a big part of it, right? I mean... <sighs> The, the metaphors are like they're clear as day, right? You know, it's, like you say, he's meeting guys that have had their testicles removed. He's talking about, you know, this is in the opening scenes, right? You're seeing the the guy crying, saying he's got kind of bitch tits, if you like, as the the, the term that's used. And we'll probably come on to this sort of bit in the in the fine wine or war crime. Um, but this is what it was, right? Like if we're talking about identity. The main character, and this, the penny only drops on this. One of the other big reveals in this, one of the like, the kind of subtle big reveals, other than Tyler Durden being the main character, is that you suddenly realise, like, about an hour and a half into the film, fuck, what is this guy's name? He doesn't even have a name. Like, the main character of the movie doesn't have a name. And how, like, how startling a critique is that of your everyday person? Like from this film, that your main character doesn't have a name. He's just a node. That's all that yeah. he is. Nobody once refers to him by his name. Like, and it doesn't matter because he bear he almost doesn't exist. And that search for meaning, that search for, uh, I guess, like not even a search. It's like that realization that I do have wants. I do have desires. I've been so dehumanized by this system by this method of control over me this need to chase my paycheck in order to live and to nullify that feeling that if i don't continue to do this drudgery i will be destitute i can kind of calm myself with an ikea table and suddenly these guys are like i don't want to do this anymore like, I don't want this. I need to feel something. I have to feel something visceral. And like I was sort of talking about escaping into nature, yeah, I mean, some of us might do it putting on a pair of hiking boots and waterproofs and going out and looking at some trees, having, you know, canopy bathing, as they call it. Um, and other people want to feel a bit more like an animal by feeling blood in their mouth, tasting blood, punching people's lights out. You know, you see it all up and down the country, football hooligans, you see it, people fighting in the streets, in McDonald's, all of it. Like there's something in us that an innate need to feel something, you know? This is a, this is a really good, so this is what I, I Sorry, was, I've I, waffled so no, much. No, 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 no. I've that really was it, but, it, but, but it was it that, that you, you, that you've, 
hit the nail on the head of where I was looking to go, really. It's, just, it's that quote that he says, um, he's sort of looking around and he says, I see the strongest and smartest men who ever lived. I see all this potential and I see squandering an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We're the middle children of history, no purpose or place. We've got no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact. And we're mm. very, very pissed off. Now, this is the interesting thing with, with what you just said, right? Is that it's ironic coming out of the mouth of a man who is a movie star and is absolutely gloriously good looking and ripped and, <laughs> and, and, and stunning. Um, but I think that is at the heart of the film, right? It, it's the idea of that this kind of... Um, and I th I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but I think it's also... It's nudging at something that a lot of people will have seen recently with the like the QAnon movement, yeah, for example, big time, big time. or the kind of uprising of uh, of of those kind of extreme, predominantly far right groups, um, the march on the Capitol, for example. And it is this idea that, in the most part, I look at those groups and I see that there's there seems to be a recurring theme of like. Well, I need the bloody answer. What's the answer? Like this can't, this can't be it. This can't be my purpose just to sit here and drift along. As I, I think we spoke about it before with flat earthers, right? People that want to find their purpose and want to find their meaning. Um, and I do wonder whether there's a lot of people watching films like Fight Club and thinking, like, yeah, you know what? That like, I have got it. What I'm saying is right, you know. I'm doing the I'm doing the work. Like we saw, for example, this just this this like last weekend, or by the time the pod goes out, it'd be sort of ten days ago. There was people that kind of um, from the far right that went out and were defending, supposedly defending statues on Remembrance Sunday, um, and and you sort of think that on some level that is a that's a desperate search for purpose. It's a desperate search for meaning. This mm. is my vocation. This is my job to defend what other people died for. And actually, I saw a, I saw a video of a vicar or a priest in the morning that just hit me so hard. It was him talking about the nature of of um, peace and the nature of going on a on a peace march, or um, the idea of what remembrance is all about. The idea of looking at the the past and hoping that you can pave the way for a better future. And I just thought it's just so it's a million miles from the kind of thing that flat earthers or the people from QAnon or the people that kind of marched on the Capitol or the people that are violent under the false pretense of defending a statue or the cenotaph. You know, it's actually it's a real desperate search for meaning. It's a real desperate search for purpose and i think that aligns really clearly with what the the film's kind of saying now what i'm trying to work out kind of all this time after the film has happened i'm trying to work out whether the film was saying this is coming and this is this is where particularly men are um but we'll get on to talk about the character of marla because I think there's a really fascinating discussion there with, with mm -hmm. Marla as well. Um, but is this is the film saying this is where men are or where men are going? Or is this more just a, a commentary on where 
society has got to right because fundamentally at the core of the film project mayhem is coming to its head i forget what the last bit of the project is called but they're trying to basically get rid of credit and the idea of and and they're trying to level things again and they're not leveling i would say that even though it's through a male lens the idea of the great leveling would be that everyone starts again from zero and then you kind of hit the reset button and then people are free to go and try and make their way all over again and and they probably would never it would never be a case of people doing it properly this time it would just give everyone a a a, a fresh start um but i did wonder whether this film's intentions were i saw a couple of interviews with ed norton and brad pitt and they were kind of talking about the idea of masculinity and it kind of drifting and maybe being less easily recognizable and like you were saying before it's not a case of me sitting here and saying oh this is how men should be or or shouldn't be i just i'm wondering whether the film was created with the intention of trying to say we're losing masculinity or whether it was just a a comment on the fact that this is literally where we are you know sorry i've I've done a horrible job of explaining that i'm basically asking you do you think the film is saying this is a problem or it's just simply presenting the information. I think the latter. I think it's, you know, that's kind of Chuck Palenik. Is that how it's pronounced? Um the, sure. the, the writer of the book. But, you know, I know his whole kind of vibe is, is about, well, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's anti-capitalist. Um, it's a real kind of dissection on on our culture where capitalism has taken our culture um and i think the 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 film is just making the point of the very real human um human impact of this that we have been reduced to human beings have been commodified we have been and we have been since like i say what the late 80s early 90s when suddenly we all we we don't have vocations anymore. Very few people have specific vocations, right? It's it's not kind of like how it used to be, and we joke about it. But you know, none of us compared to even our dad's generation. I think it's even being kind to our dad's generation, really, that they all knew how to change a plug and they all knew how to do this and do that. It's more like our grandparents' generation mm. when most blokes could mend their own car and they could do this and they could do that. And even that's probably a bit idealized, but I would say nowadays, like, you know, everything's a commodity. I don't need to, I don't need to learn how to do that because I can pay, I can pay somebody else to do that for me. And it, the film is just showing you that, you know, these human beings have been wiped of all of their identity are going to lash out eventually. And I think it also shows you about like, I think it also shows you about kind of corporate governmental folly in so much as they, they get too comfortable at times in thinking that everybody will fall in line. And I think the the movie, we are going to start talking about anarchy, aren't we as well? That, you know, that, the movie is making the point that you know if rebellions do go unchecked as we saw with the QAnon um the the capital insurrection um that sometimes people hit their limit people have had enough um we've spoken about like during V for Vendetta the poll tax riots before we've had the London riots you know 
10 years or so ago now, um, probably a bit longer than that. You know, people people do have their limits. We do, you can only, you can only push people so far. And I do think that the the people in charge, if you like, they do they do forget that, and I think that's kind of the point that the the film is also making is that as as bleak and as like you know terrible as things can feel, the power is still with the people. The power is in our hands. If we want it enough, if we are gonna, if we want to smash the system and all that type of thing, we can do it in certain ways, perhaps. Um, although it is but it is worth bearing in mind that this film was written before, you know, I mean, the book was written in, I think about 95, 96, okay. um, film came out in be... about 99. This was way before kind of the internet was in the way that it is now. It's way before cloud technology. It's way, I mean, look now you imagine the, the concept of blowing up a few towers thinking that's gonna, that's gonna level credit. It's not all the credit will just be in the cloud somewhere. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like it, it yeah. just, but I haven't really made much of a point there, mate. I'm just kind no, of musing on thoughts that are no, swimming around about this film. So this is the this is the, the other thing that I was going to kind of get to with the anarchy piece is that it, it it within the film it feels as though there's a very very clear um, he has a clear thread running through everything, and I think this kind of I think this probably ties together quite neatly in that. A lot of what he's talking about is is mortality. It feels like Tyler Durden is confronting Edward Norton, the 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 narrator or Jack or whatever it is that 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 we can suggest is his name. Um, that he's confronting the fact that one day he's going to die, you know. And so in the meantime, he should be out and taking control of the world and actually going out and doing everything that he possibly could with this kind of vessel that he's got to do it with. Um, and we get that with the idea of that, that section where he's kind of like, this is the biggest experience of your life and you're running away from it and trying to hide in your little ice cave or whatever it is mm. with, with Marla. And then he sort of pours the, the vinegar on. Um, and we also get that in the, um, we get that with the scene with, Raymond Hessel's character, which I almost forgot about, and then I just rewatched before we started the pod, and I thought, "Wow, that's actually that's actually such a important part of the of the story. It's so minimal, right? It's it's only really like two three minutes, and it's so random that he just goes and points a gun to this guy's head, and then shows you at the end that all the chambers were empty, and that he's basically trying to get this person to wake up. He's mm. trying to give him a real experience. So he'll wake up and go and do what he's always wanted to do. And I think that's the the kind of thing with the anarchy within the film is that he does seem to have this, um, this kind of real driving force behind him, like wake up and get on with your life. And there is, a, there's another moment, right? Where he's driving the car and he's about to crash the car and he turns to the, what are they called? Are they called the space monkeys? That that group of is is that the name of the group that they give each other? Okay, it's I a really remember. weird name. It's yeah. a really weird sort of name that he gives them. But um, he basically says to him like, if if you were to die now, what would you? What was the one thing you wish you'd have done? 
um, and all of them know exactly what it is. They've suddenly kind of got this weird sense of understanding that like they are inching closer and closer towards death. And so they need to have an understanding of why they exist or what it is that they're going to do with their, do with their lives. Um, and I think that that kind of goes hand in hand with the, the anarchy piece, right? It's like, you're going to do something. You're going to actually get off your ass and do something. Um, and we see Ed Norton's character kind of walking through and he calls the house like a living, a living thing or an organism where it's become a production line. Um, and they're going to literally take the, 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 the human fat and sort of feed it back to them to, mm. to kind of stick it to them, to get rid of the, the problem. Um, but it, what's kind of fascinating around this mortality thing is that we watch Ed Norton's character kind of fight it at every point. Um, and I think that's probably, I think that's probably quite a good metaphor as well around the, the idea of this, this kind of eventually people will have enough is that at all points, we're always trying to kind of take the comfortable route but always mm. trying to to not do the thing, take the path of least resistance. We're all kind of Ed Norton, really. You know, we're all yeah, yeah. we're all just ticking over, trying to just sort of, even though we know the idea of being uncomfortable is probably the right thing in the long run. We're kind of like, yeah, but maybe just maybe just a bit more. Like, I need the IKEA thing because it would just be easier, or I need to kind of like, I do, I need to pay for Spotify. You know, I need to have Netflix. I need to kind of like keep watching competitive sport because it, it's now our job. You know, it, it, it's this kind of like it, I feel like the film is making a real point, a real sort of having a real barb at people, and a real jab at people around this idea that like mortality is the only way to understand that you need to get on and, and start living a bit and but, sorry go on, mate. well i was just gonna say that but i mean this is this is where i kind of struggle with this type of stuff because when i turn the lens on myself and i think where could i have done things better and I, yeah still, i'm not you know i'm not in my like fucking 60s or anything like that but still you kind of think to this point you st i think i'm at just about enough of an age now where i can i feel have certain regrets about certain things i may have done or not done do you know what I mean? And, and mm. seeing the kind of impact it has in your life and whatever. But I, I think more so the film, and I, I don't know if this is why I'm kind of slightly resentful of the film um, and slightly resentful of the, the idea behind it. And a lot of this type of stuff, when it puts the onus on the individual. And I do understand that, yeah, we probably all do have a, like, you know, the individuals all making up the collective, we do have a responsibility to perhaps, you know, break the wheels of of these type of systems and things like that but at the same time you know the option is play ball or really face destitution because our society because the system this late stage capitalism that we exist within is so fucking unforgiving that mm. you have mm. to just get on board or you know because it's all well and good to sit here like as 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 a you know 38 year old as i am now saying God, why am I not? Why am I not this idealistic? Why don't I really feel as passionately as I did when I was in my twenties? Because you get older and you do become more just attuned to the fact that you know this is how things work, and I need to earn, I need to pay my rent, um, because otherwise I'm fucked. You know, yeah. like I don't, I'm not somebody. I don't have the privilege of having like you know a rich 
I don't come from like a rich family or anything like that. I don't have this kind of, I don't have anything to fall back on if I don't provide for myself. Do you know what I mean? Like some people do, but most of us don't. Um, but it's, and, it's, it's, do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you do find the thing and I do, I feel that like, you know, do stuff like this. I, I, I do whatever else. Do you know what I mean? Where I keep some of that sort of fire alive, but and I think we all have our own little bits, but we are still, you know, we are all kind of trapped in this system where, do you know what I mean? Like where we have to distract ourselves by watching Netflix or doing this or doing that because our lives are so demanding that our time is so, you know, we're so tired all the time. Like if when we're not at work, we have a few hours to see the people that we care about and try and fit in some sort of a life that it's hard to get any momentum to do that sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it takes a lot. Like it takes to even get going on something. I think there's a reason why so many of us will always have... I, I, I love watching there's a, a Denzel Washington um, commencement address. And he sort of... It, it's one of those things to basically get you off your ass, really, and go and... Usually I'll try and listen to it before I go and do weights at the gym, make me think I can lift 10 times what I can actually lift. Um, but uh, it, it, it basically says, like, if you were surrounded by, on your deathbed, the ghosts of all the ideas that came to you and that you never acted on and you were held accountable for them, what would you say? Um, mm. And it, it, and it, uh, the, But the thing with that is, and very similar to the points that the film is making, is that he goes through, this is a guy that goes through, like, essentially a breakdown, <laughs> you know? Like, he actually has to have sort of split personality disorder in order to actually go and act on his subconscious acting on all the things that he wishes that he could do, but doesn't have the strength or the passion in his day to day because he's kind of being beaten to death by the system. Now, what is really interesting here? In fact, I want to ask you a question before I, I get to this point. Do you think the character of Marla is real? Yeah, I do. I do think she is. So there's a lot of theories out there that, she isn't real at all and that she is a kind of another part of his psyche because she is the first yeah. person to confront him with the idea that she's ready to die that she's accepted her fate and that's the end of it and so she doesn't really need these groups in the same way that he does, she's just at this point where she's kind of like, oh, well, it will just be the end for me when it comes and we see her sort of walk out in front of traffic. But I wondered whether maybe she's kind of like, she's almost like the reverse of his role, right? In that she's reached the end, she's reached this end point, and now she's almost working backwards. She's trying to find meaning and she's trying to find things that, that give her something. And that, that really jumped out at me when she asked him to come around and feel for a lump. And she sort of looked at him. She's like, you don't feel anything at all. Nothing. And then he's like, no. And then because he's totally oblivious and he's just an absolute plonker and he mm. just kind of like goes off. But I wondered with her whether that actually, the, the, the inclusion of her in that way, I, I just had completely missed this the first time around. But I wondered whether she was actually on some level more of his kind of like 
his emotion or his his heart or the ability. She, she definitely humanizes him, yeah, big time. Mm. But perhaps she was that bit, and that he, but that she could have been another figment of of his imagination. She, she, she could be, yeah. I don't think even if she's not real, I don't think it particularly changes her purpose. I mean, I took Marla as being that. You know, she's essentially because I, I, I think I slightly disagree with you in that she's opposed to him. I think she almost is like a reflection. She's holding up a mirror to the narrator's own internal conflict. Right? She is. She's the first time he realized because he because he so easily sees all these things in her. She's only going to these groups for X, Y, Z. It's it's laughable because you as the viewer, you're watching this. You're watching him be able to dissect exactly why Marla is attending all these things. She doesn't have any of these issues. She's just doing this. She's just a tourist. And suddenly tourist she becomes that... such a good word for it, isn't it? Yeah. And she becomes that catalyst for change when he suddenly realizes, oh shit, that's what I am as well. Because he's had this like carefully constructed world that has allowed him to still go about his mundane job, office drone, Ikea existence and have this secret little vent that he does by attending these groups to try and feel something, to try and attach himself to something more human outside of that, where he doesn't really have to show anything of himself by doing that. It's almost like he's like a parasite on other people's pain a parasite and other people's grief, but that is almost enough for him. But it's only until Marla comes along that he realizes that's what he's doing. And, you know, she becomes like, like I say, that disrupting element, that disrupting catalyst in his life. And then shortly after, Tyler Durden shows up. Just quickly, I wanted to pick your brains. What did you make of the twist this time around? Now that you know, you know it's coming, you know where it's coming... Did it affect you in any way? Uh, no, I, th- I think it's very... Uh, what, I, uh, what I mostly took from it is I've, I found it very interesting, again, watching the film, watching the bits where, like, Marla's speaking to the narrator, yeah. if you like. Yeah, um, big time. After they've just had a night of kind of, you know, passionate lovemaking, put it, call it that way. With <laughs> Rumpy his weird, pumpy. With his weird rubber gloves on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that scene like, answers so the door with rubber gloves on like, what? and she falls uh, off like she falls yeah. off to the side of the bed and goes to the door like what on earth is that about <laughs> so um, funny but uh, yeah I think it, I, I found it interesting on that sort of level but I mean I guess we're going to sort of be talking about this type of thing a bit right the uh, the duality of, of the whole thing um, is I think it's actually I think maybe previously I've thought oh, it's just, it's a bit of a gimmick. I actually think it's it's a really genius idea. It's actually really geniusly uh, deployed as well in the film. I actually think it's brilliant. I think it's really really well done. A lot better than I remember it being. If that if it, yeah yeah I think. well and the, the the craft of it, the care yeah. that's gone into making it so. I remember the first time I watched it, I had no idea the twist was coming at no. all. None absolutely none you know and it, it's it's well done in the respect you know how i was talking about and this is a bit of a segue but with the kind of the agatha christie movie the kind of the haunting in venice and stuff where it's like mm. you can still watch this and still be like oh yeah that makes sense now with the tyler durden twist you weren't like huh no come on don't be stupid you are like oh that makes perfect sense now and i get that and yeah that's fine and- 
Do you know what I mean? It, it's the bit where it goes, we've lost cabin pressure. You know, yeah, and you're like... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so, yeah. like, it's absolutely incredible. And it also, amazingly, within that sort of five seconds, gets rid of the idea of the good guy and the bad guy. Mm. Which is incredible, really, considering we spent the entire film building it up and kind of creating this left side and right side or dark and light or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then within that one beat, the whole thing is just like a total mush, which is kind of like, it's just awesome. Like, it's so, so well done. And then you go back and you start picking bits apart and then sort of seeing him pop up in places in the flash frames as well. I, I just love the fact that, you know, when he's in Tyler Durden mode, he's like, okay, well, I know the normie boring side of me is going to do and say these things. So it's yeah. already like, he's already yeah. prepared all these other people for these situations where he's like, okay, so I'm probably going to come to you in a few days and say, don't do this or do it this way. But that's just me testing you or whatever. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, amazing. And they're about to cut his, cut his giblets off. Cut his Jacobs and, off. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so fantastic. I, I, watching this time around, I found myself watching really closely to the dialogue where in theory, he could give himself away or the dialogue, whether in the bar at the beginning or when they're on the plane um, and where he just like jumps out. And there's little things like where he just leaves the airport and just steals a really amazing car, you know, and you're basically just watching what his dream life would be. Yeah. And th th you're just seeing the, the version of him that's just carefree and no worries and goes and uh, uh, like it's, it's yeah. That that the whole duality thing. I I thought this time around, it's so strange, isn't it? I thought this time around, um, I would be captured from various different points, but actually the opening of the film was the bit that I was like, uh, not so much. And the bit that I knew was coming was the bit that actually sort mm. of did a lot for me, which is really really interesting as well. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say on the duality, mate? I just think it's it's just this really it, again is that comment on like you know we're talking about the the society the way in which we live that that disassociation metaphor if you like I mean it's not even a metaphor is it it's like it's a it's an actuality in the film it's just showing you that kind of the one that has to lead these fractured existences we see this say manifesting now and online in the way that people you know play all variety of different characters under the guise of anonymity um because we do we live in this world that imposes that sense of conformity on us and limits personal expression i can honestly say i'm not the same person in work as i am you know outside of it and of course, yes yeah. some of that is to be you know expected but i don't know it's uh it is interesting I mean, just yeah like you say you know it's completely representative in it of that sort of the desires the sense of rebellion within the narrator and it's like the only way he can make a change the only way he can do something different with his life is to just imagine that he is somebody else and maybe there is even something in that like i say with QAnon, with people doing stuff online that the only way we can really escape from this society is to pretend that we are someone else to to live this different life if you like in a in an almost like dual sense you know yeah because i was I'm, thinking about that today 
let's think about that today. I was thinking about how the vast, vast majority of of would you actually not vast majority, but a lot of people will have like an online existence, right? Mm-hmm. They'll have an online existence and they'll have a an offline and then they'll have a work kind of version of them and then a home version of them. And I and I thought it, like the film it might seem far fetched that this guy is um the the whatever he calls him, we are the all singing, all dancing crap of the world or whatever. And <laughs> he's getting himself and into tear ups underground. But it's not actually as far fetched as uh, the film takes it to the extreme, right? But for a lot of us, it might just be that on social media or on Reddit or on a forum that you're that you're able to be a version of you that you're not able to be mm-hmm. elsewhere, you know, or that you might. Um, for like, like, I mean, there are so many people that will completely empathise with or, or feel um, a sense of oh, yeah. When when you think about you could you get into a you can hear two people getting into a conversation at work about a topic or whatever and you just find yourself sitting there and going, Yeah, I just won't touch that. I'm just like gonna go nowhere near that. Or when people start talking about like political stuff mm. in your friendship group and you just think, Yeah, just not gonna touch that. But then interestingly there'll be stuff online and you'll see people waging into all kinds of like hefty discussions under the kind of guise of their their chosen sort of avatar or their lens or whatever that that, that separates them and i think we're seeing we're probably for you and i we're probably a little bit further down the line in terms of this but i think it's perhaps the generation above us that are, are getting stung a bit with this at the moment in that they uh, like might air their views online and and realize that actually doing that online is the same as doing it in public, mm. and it just is not quite. It, it, the, they don't the, the 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 keyboard is not necessarily the barrier of anonymity that they thought that it might have been, you know. Um, uh, just to move on very quickly, was should we ask this question about Fight Club and a remake? Do, do you, you think it do could work? Yeah. I, I, like, I'm, I'm, I just can't envisage how it could now, because, basically, because of the immediacy of information, like mm. the idea of going into an old rundown house or, or something like that, like it just would, it, it would feel too unbelievable. But is that because of the internet? Is that because of the yeah. internet? Because of social media? Because because of because of, of I was going to say cell phones, but smartphones. Exactly. Yeah, I just feel like it would almost stop it. And I feel like what we're really seeing now is the idea of a fight club would kind of take place through AI. In fact, we're encouraging people to kind of do that anyway, aren't we, with the metaverse? Mm. You know, go and live that life that you that you would like to live, but you can't in real life. So you can go and do it with an avatar. You can go and do a pretend version of it online instead. Or you can go and do it through Fortnite or you go and do it through... I mean, when I was a kid, it used to be RuneScape. How tragic's that? But um, <laughs> b- but that's kind of like what we're encouraging people to do and instead sort of drift off into game worlds now and then create friendships through gaming where you're you've got an avatar to to kind of focus on. I don't know. Do you think it would work now? I don't know. I'd be interested to see because I think there's a lot of themes in there. It would be it would be almost interesting to see those same characters dropped into 
2023 and what they would make of it now. Um, but again, it's kind of, it's, it's throwing back to the discussion we've had in the previous pod when you're talking about, you know, the lack of escape of anything when you go on holiday now that you're still always connected because you've got your smartphone with you. You're not just strolling through Sicily or wherever and coming across some restaurant. You're going somewhere that's got good reviews that you've seen on Google or you've seen on booking.com or whatever. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. We're yeah. never truly really free of anything. So I think we probably need to find some other, because like I was saying with Shah, what like, what would it be like now? Would they be like live streaming the fights in, in Fight Club or something? <laughs> and she was saying, well, no, because they say quite upfront, the first rule is not to talk about it. And Every, people can't our whole it. society now is just talking about everything. So well, it's like secret cinema. Look at us. We're sat here <laughs> doing this, you know? Secret cinema is like, there's nothing secret about it. <laughs> you know, no. it's now like a multi, multi-million pound thing. You know, I remember there used to be the... Did you remember, you know the place in London, the Mayor of Scaredy Cat Town? Yeah. When you go through the fridge and all that, it's uh, there's no, it just it's it's yeah, almost impossible. Um, do you want to do MVPs? Yeah, that would be a good one. That's interesting. So, I I feel like it's really really hard to look past Brad Pitt, but I do want to give a huge shout to Helena Bonham Carter. Mm. Because I just think she's a proper show stealer, mm. you know. That she, her dialogue's amazing. The way she carries herself is incredible. The way she smokes, her look is just—it's just fascinating. I just think she's a sort of—I I don't know if you listened to her on Louis Theroux's Grounded pod. I did, yeah, yeah. She just is amazing, isn't she? Yeah. So cool and interesting. Um, just thought she was. She was phenomenal in this who was yours it's probably Brad Pitt mate it has I think it has to be doesn't it with this movie like Ed Ed Norton's great but I don't he's not and it's quite intentional he's not really doing much he's square isn't he yeah square like it has to be whereas uh yeah I think it's I think it's Brad Pitt I think it has to be yeah big win for for Brad Pitt there and honorable assist to uh to meet life with the bitch tits yeah um (laughs) Uh, find one a war crime. Now, where do you want to begin with here? Um, well, okay. I've got an interesting talking point for you because again, I noticed there was a complete lack of diversity within this, um, within this film. Right. And then it got me sort of doing a bit of search and a bit of researching online as to whether or not that's actually very purposeful, that it's very purposeful mm. that it is all kind of straight white men that we kind of lampoon today there's that first sign that and you were talking previously like is this a comment or is this like some sort of prophecy that we're seeing that like one of the most disenfranchised at the moment aspects of you know seemingly listless groups within society are these you know kind of professional straight white guys um and that's entirely what the film is about right and i think this is so this and this is something that is uh has been debated i've seen sort of various people have given arguments back and forth some people have said i get this now because this is kind of what the film is about it is that kind of that lampooning of toxic masculinity and at the very apex of that is the is the straight white man um 
but also does that narrow it down too much does that suggest that you know there aren't issues of other parts of society and this and that and i think you know i I don't i don't buy that so much i think it's it's fine to focus on one element of something and and that be what the film is about and it to me that that is what the film feels about right it feels it feels like it's about that kind of you know the all-american boy who is he's a professional and he's worked hard and he's he's supposed to be living the american dream i'm kind of like you know like brad pitt was saying we're told we we're, we're the rock stars we're going to be the superheroes the movie stars all this type of thing and now we're not we're we're also mad it it, it almost kind of like shows you that entitlement in some people hey we know we're supposed to be the champs here we're supposed to be the winners and still we feel kind of like we're nothing um so i feel yeah i i feel that like i feel that that is obviously the the problem with that comes then that you know there is in a real world sense nobody no people of color or anything have been cast very few i mean there's i think there's probably one woman in the entire film right which is Helena Bonham Carter again i think that's pretty intentional right um but it's well no there's not there's in the support groups and things like that yeah. actually yeah there's 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 more but, but she i mean she, that woman's like dying essentially yeah, like yeah, she's yeah. given nothing to her role and actually she's given a passing mention later on i, I forget what what her name is it chloe yeah her name's chloe i said oh chloe died and it's like wow chloe died and she's like why are you acting like you care yeah. It's, it's it's quite a but i think you're right i think it's quite an intentional comment you know and i think it's quite um i think the fact that none of the other characters are memorable in terms of you going oh that's exactly what they look like with the exception of jared leto who is then beaten to a pulp for standing out yeah so i think break something beautiful yeah, I think there is... Which I thought was a bit cheesy, I'm going to say. Like one of yeah. my little piss on the parade bits, I didn't like that bit. Like that. Yeah, and but I, and also it kind of... I found that quite hard to square away because I was like, would they all just watch... They're all just watching him beat this guy. Like, But they had rules, you know, and they were all just watching this guy just get beaten to a pulp. It was really, really bizarre. Like very, very bizarre a uh, bit that I, I couldn't quite square it away but no I, I i think possibly that was intentional but i suppose it doesn't change the fact that there is literally no diversity in it whatsoever um how did you feel about the idea of the terrorism stuff because there's a lot of stuff online about this kind of glorifying and and putting an acceptable face on terrorism essentially mm. and the fact that they go and they are blowing up buildings but it's in the most part straight white men from white collar backgrounds kind of doing it in the name of like you know freedom fighters yeah i i, I don't know man i don't really know if i've got many hot takes on that. i don't i personally don't feel that it really glorifies it i think maybe there is a uh, maybe there is a level of romant of romanticism to it this idea of smashing the system smashing kind of capitalism but I think that kind of comes back to, you know, Chuck Palahniuk's, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that pronunciation, but Chuck Palahniuk's kind of, you know, stated intention, which is, you know, to, to do these 
dissections of consumer capitalist culture um that to in order to to make a change you got to, you know to make an omelet you got to break a few eggs and all that type of thing i think that's it's just part and parcel of the film isn't it? it's part and parcel of the messaging behind the whole thing that the system needs to be destroyed because it's destroying us um so probably does probably does glorify the 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 concept of terrorism in this isolated ex- example but you know um don't really know what to say on that <laughs> no I think, I think the only thing i thought just at the end it's very kind of like um it's very triumphant you know mm. it sort of feels quite triumphant this idea it's like yeah destroyed the system um it's obviously intentional as you say but it's quite i just think it's quite interesting i think well i guess because even his normie characters like actually this is the first time his normie character is closer to tyler durden in that like okay cool i'm just gonna watch and stand here and watch this happen now because cool it's happening yeah and you just well, obviously the the whole premise of the film as we just said is the idea it's like the kind of um the, the most straight laced square kind of head down meat and two veg person can break out of the mold i just don't think that you, you like i i think perhaps subject matter and and the the idea of the the crux of it being essentially like demolishing buildings using uh using explosives probably wouldn't have gone down hugely well if it were not that 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 group of sort of talent as it were yeah yeah um but yeah i think beyond that we've done the 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 kind of idea of men needing to be men quite a lot and and then the uh the glorification of violence as well but um mate that was a this was a this was a like a, a challenging watch this week it was a, yeah, it a was. good a confronting lot, challenge. A lot, intro, a lot of introspection on that. I think the only thing I would add, just just very briefly on that idea of, you know, in terms of fine wine or war crime, just because I said when we were in the conversation earlier, I think the only thing where this maybe has aged a little bit um, is still just this kind of idea that, uh, you know, with that glorification of violence, with that idea of this is how men need to find themselves by bashing each other's brains in. Um I think it's kind of, and it's a product of its time, you know, it's written in, like I said, 1996 or so, that we do need to have these kind of clearly defined gender roles that a man needs to be a man in a certain way. I think that that kind of, I think that side of the film, that side of the conversation would need to be further developed nowadays versus yeah, kind of where it was back then. Um, so that's that's probably all I'd say about that. But yeah, yeah, great film, mate. Great choice. Um, really interesting one to dive into. Really deep. I'm, I'm really sorry to anybody listening. This is really deep, but it really was a you know, it's that type of film, isn't it? It's that very probing, very heavy, very heavy film with a lot to sort of take in and a lot to, you know, a lot of a lot. A, 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 there's a lot of reflective uh, material in there for for the viewer as well. It's, so. I can't wait for you to tell everyone what we're going to watch next week. It's like mm. night and day. Go on, give us the well, good news. Pew. Mate, look, we've had weeks. I've, I've pushed you into doing a horror marathon. You hate doing <laughs> horror movies. We've followed that up by <laughs> doing like, you know, Fight Club and Drive, two really, really dark, really bleak films. So look, we've really got to lighten this up. We've done a, you know, we've done the Mrs. Doubtfire. We've done a Beauty and the Beast. We've done a Meet the Parents. We need to take this back to a happier place because we're going to be we're going to be drowning in Christmas movies soon enough, probably after this one. 
So a nice segue back into the lighter side of life, back into somewhere that you have said yourself is one of your happy place films, somewhere that you like to escape to. Um, so I thought, why not? Let's 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 give Ben this one. Let's give him this. Um, <laughs> And uh, I'm going to call in an assist as well. I'm going to get a substitute in here as well, which is uh, my wife, the lovely Charlotte as well, is going to join us for this I next one it. because it's one of her Happy Place films as well. Um, it is Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap. Such so, a good film. Yeah. Such a good Mate, film. Mate, I think, do you know Because do you know what as well, what really made me think this is like, Sunday evening, you've got the Sunday scaries enough as it is, watching bloody Fight Club, right? <laughs> talking about the drudgery and nine to five, talking about yeah, being a drone. Man. I thought, you know what, what, man? I can't do, I could, you know, I cannot do a children of men. I can't do, no, I'm not, not doing that. Not another one. Not no. another one. I want to I do the parent trap and then I want to do a month and a half solid of just Christmas movies. Yeah, and just, just really be happy feel for a good bit, stuff. Right? Yeah, you know absolutely I mean? right. I'm buzzing to do the parent trap, mate. Love that film so much. But mate, do, you're coming up as well, 20th anniversary of Love Actually. 20th anniversary of Elf as well this Is year. Elf so the same year as Love. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll do mm-hmm. easy, easy. Mm-hmm. Love it, mate. What a pleasure. A quick reminder at BYOB Pod. Let us know what we missed. Let us know if there's anything you disagreed with. We'd love to hear, love to hear your comments. Find us on TikTok, on Instagram, on X. Um, and make sure you subscribe and leave us a comment on the channel on YouTube, but also any comments on the on the pod Please, feed. Yeah. Very much appreciated. They they help enormously. And also it's just great to hear from you guys. Did I miss anything? I don't think you did, mate. I think you smashed it. Sensational. Bye for now. <laughs>